You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And the Orioles have won the game! They did it! They did it! They did it! And they're going crazy! They're jumping on each other! One of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see. We've had a lot of special Orioles Magic the Podcast, but this one's really special. Of course, we're presented by Miller Lite. We are getting ready for spring training 2.0, summer camp of baseball. The players returning to Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and we're going to talk some baseball. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, Rockabaco, MassInSports.com will join us to talk about the O's roster as we get set for a 60-game sprint. But, Jeff, it's back, baby. Oh, it's back, baby. I'm excited for it. We finally have some roster construction stuff to talk about. Uh, Rock also promised, um, because everyone's going to be wearing masks, that he will be wearing muscle shirts every once in a while so that we, we can recognize him in the press box. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a really strange year with different tiers, all kinds of rules in place, temperature checks, not being able to, to bring your own food, 44-man um, roster to start things off. You can go up to 60, Orioles trying to figure out how it's all going to look, players reporting, COVID injured list. I mean, the list goes on and on of how 2020 is going to be different than any other baseball season ever. I'm so different, it's not even funny. Different every way from the inside out. Uh, the one thing that will be normal is it will be playing. And that is something that has withstood the test of time. It's something that, you know, personally I think is very important. Uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, but uh, to me, that is the normalcy, that baseball will play through, it will play on as it has uh, through every other uh, really uh, disaster in, in recent history in America, and uh, we can set our watch to it. Now, we haven't been able to time it up like we typically do. This season is going to be a 60-game sprint. It's starting late, but better late than never, if you ask me, and uh, there's something really, I think, vital uh, to the drumbeat of this country when it comes to uh, baseball and it being played and to have it on the background or to be totally invested into it for 60 games uh, to me that is still very much worthwhile well, we're kind of going to the unknown Brett but I agree with you it, it, I think Major League Baseball and all the different teams have done everything they can to ensure the safety of the players the staffs um, especially like older you know groups like managers who might be in their 60s coaches um, and, and all kinds of people that are, that are going to be going to the games, like you and me. So I, I feel like there's no great way to do this, but I agree that we need baseball, and I think every precaution has been taken. Are there some things that you couldn't have thought of in those 103 sure. pages? Absolutely. But there's been an effort made to try and cover every single base as, as well as possible, and I hope that we're going to be able to, to play – 60 games or as, as many games as possible. And as we continue to move along, we're going to learn a lot about this process and uh, we're going to, we're going to figure out a, a lot of stuff and, and learn a lot of stuff about this that, that we didn't know, but it's, it's very much a, you know, we're, we're kind of starting on a road where we're not sure where it's going to lead us, but we're, we're hopeful that we're going to be able to play as much baseball as possible. And, and I agree. I think it's great for the country as a whole to have it back. 60 games plus a postseason, not the expanded postseason that was, 
uh, hotly debated for several weeks or months, but baseball nonetheless, and if they can get through those 60 and crown a champion, uh, that to me would be a, a terrific accomplishment if everyone's uh, health is, is uh, really secured. I guess the best way to put it through the, these really short sprint few months of baseball. So it all, you know, also sets up the sport kind of moving forward uh, in, in many ways. But beyond that, let's talk roster. Let's talk baseball. Rock Kabako, MassinSports.com with us. Well, at long last, let's talk about the minutia of a baseball roster. Rock Kabako, MassinSports.com is with us here on Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite and Rock. We've long awaited just to look and scroll down some names again and say, is he in? Is he out? Uh, who's on first? <laughs> well, I mean, which roster are we talking? The 60-man yeah. pool, the 44 so far, the eventual 30-man roster, or the 28 or the 26 that's eventually going to happen. It's, it's going to be a lot of moving parts, as Buck used to say. Rock, for you, when you look at that initial 44 that was announced, uh, for you, what, was the, what were some of the biggest surprises? I guess, first of all, the total. Like, I, I knew that they weren't going to do the full 60, but I thought we'd have more than that. Uh, I think there were actually a couple of omissions, first of all, like Mason Williams. I think we kind of boldly said, well, he must be the extra outfielder because they sent out Cedric Mullins. But then Mason is not on that, that list. And so he's going to end up going to the, uh, what are we calling it, the secondary camp? Is that what we're calling it now? And are we calling this spring training 2.0 or summer camp? It seems to offend some people on Twitter like you're making light of this, but you got to call it something. But the fact that Mason Williams wasn't on it surprised me. We'll still end up probably seeing him at some point. He can be a taxi squad guy. He can be swapped out, whatever. I just assumed he'd be in that group. And the fact that Cesar Valdez was added was a little bit of a surprise. A guy who was a, uh, wasn't even in major league camp had five, was it four appearances or five appearances coming over from the minor league side, didn't give up a run struck out nine batters in five innings. I mean, it, it had a, at least one save, I know, in Clearwater. He really impressed some people, but I still didn't think we were going to see him in camp, but he's on this list, so that's very interesting. 35 years old, and you've seen the craziness of his career. I think he debuted in 2010 and didn't pitch again in the majors till 17. Been in Mexico the last two years, so seeing him on there. And David Hess being back, maybe I was wrong to assume that once you got optioned out, that was it, but he was optioned after we got back home. Remember, they made four, four more roster moves after we returned home to get down to 50. All of a sudden, David Hess is back again. It's like one of those horror movies where you think the guy's gone and everybody's celebrating at the end and you see the body rise up. And, you know, we've seen that in all of them, uh, including Die Hard. But uh, so David Hess is back all of a sudden, I guess partly because maybe he could be part of now a 30-man staff as kind of a swingman, longman type. I do want to get into some of these omissions. Obviously, that's what the fans are, are most interested in. But can we just not assume for a second everyone understands this, the different rosters that are out there right now? And correct me where I'm wrong, Rock. You're allowed 60 players. Obviously, the roster is going to start at 30 and start going down to what was the original uh, 2020 roster number of 26, eventually get there. Uh, but it's going to start at 30. Uh, and, and then you're you're basically given more to have – you know, depth on your team, a, a working camp of minor leaguers, prospects, veterans uh, to assign hopefully somewhere nearby. I know you've reported it's likely Bowie where you could have almost a taxi type roster ready to go should you need injuries or any fill in over the next two or uh, three months. Right. It's a little confusing, too, because like I get the sense these 44 right now are the ones who are competing for that active roster. If you're not on it, you're not competing. So you're going to end up 
the other 16 at this secondary camp, and it looked like it's going to be Booth. That's like 99.9% certain. So now you've at least whittled that down. These are the people competing. But this other camp's going to be a mix of where you're going to have some of the veteran guys. It's going to be kind of, I don't know if we're calling it the taxi squad. On the road, it's three guys on a taxi squad. But at home, you have these extra people that you could swap in and out, especially who are on the 40. So you could have these extra guys getting ready, staying ready, playing inter-squad games, whatever. But you're also going to have some of these prospects. I know Ryan Malcastle, Keegan Aiken, people who are disappointed weren't on the, the list of 44. I think Bruce Zimmerman wasn't on it, correct? But people who could debut, and we certainly think they will, later in the summer. So you're keeping them ready, but they're not going to break camp with a team. So you may as well keep them off that 44. And then you're going to have guys, Adley Rutschman, for example, uh, D.L. Hall, who aren't going to debut in 2020, but you still have to keep them active, get them working out, try not to stall their development. And these draft picks that they've signed could make it as well. Uh, and it, it's, it is really confusing. We're still learning some of these rules. And as Michael Lies tried to explain again in a Zoom this week, you have to be careful because if you have, you have your 60, if you put a guy who isn't on the 40 on it, then you can't take them off it later without putting them on waivers, something. Does that sound right? Is that how we explain it? Something like that. So you, can't, so you don't want to right away start putting guys on there that aren't going to play for you in 2020 and then realize, oh, we're out of room. And this guy's taking a spot. So he wants to be very careful, have the roster set first of, you know, this 44. Then let's see who else we're filtering into this other camp. And then, okay, we can go ahead and put a couple other guys on just to, to keep them active. Why not include Mountcastle, Aiken, Kramer, Zimmerman on this initial pool and have them on your opening day roster because for for a couple of them you probably figured you know right now we're recording this it's July 2nd by the time we get started they all probably would have made major league debuts anyway or some would probably have been there to stay right but you know again maybe they don't want them they never planned on them breaking camp with the team so maybe they're looking at it that way have them debut later do you think maybe service clock comes into play on this perhaps so you want part to of it that yeah. a little bit more uh and I thought maybe – I still didn't think like a guy like Mountcastle was going to debut, but when the roster got extended to 30, you started to think, well, you have a little more room. But I think that's where you carry a third catcher. And you certainly want to carry a couple – maybe a couple extra arms. Uh, you could carry an extra utility-type guy. Maybe you have three of those instead of two. Notice there are only four outfielders on that list of 44. So you're going to need some guys who can also play the outfield, super utility-type guys like Andrew Velasquez, maybe it's Stevie Wilkerson, whatever. Maybe Richie Martin, who we had ticketed for AAA playing shortstop every day, now ends up on the opening day roster yeah. as an extra infielder because you can't have him playing every day now without a minor league season. Like, this is why it's kind of been a work in progress. And a lot of that work we did in March, in February, March in Sarasota with all the speculation on rosters and everything else kind of went through the shredder because so much has changed now. These camp competitions and what we were projecting, a lot of it has, is different now. The thing about Mountcastle, and again, here's someone who could have debuted anywhere between May and August of this year in a normal situation, obviously very little offensively to prove in the International League. But without Trey Mancini this year, one thing that was kind of logical is you have Chris Davis, you have Trey Mancini, you kind of have a DH first base outfield log jam, but you're down your most powerful and best player in that group. Uh, and to me, that theoretically would have uh, – 
create an avenue for, for Mount Castle very easily to start the season on the team in this situation. All right. Of course, you have Arnado Nunez, who's your primary designated hitter at this point. And he is a guy at 31 home runs That's and true. Went 90 runs. So I would think you've got to pencil him in mostly there. He's not going to be your starting first baseman or third baseman. And he's going to get work at both corners. But obviously, his best tool is the bat. So he's your DH. And then even without Mancini, you're going to probably end up – now all of a sudden, DJ Stewart, who was supposed to be on the injured list, has a shot now to break camp with the team and maybe even be the starting right fielder. Or if it's Santander and you have Dwight Smith Jr. and left, or what do they end up doing? But as long as Nunez is primarily the DH, it's harder for Malcastle. And now he could end up playing left field. But again, then you're going to have, okay, what do we do about – then Santander goes to right, and then what are you doing with the other out, extra outfitters you have? Because we know Hayes is going to be the center fielder as long as he's healthy. So, I mean, I guess it's a pleasant problem to have that eventually you have to make room for Malcast and you kind of delay that decision. And maybe Nunez becomes a trade ship. I mean, there is a trade deadline just been moved to August 31st from July 31st, but maybe that's enough time for him to build up some value if teams are willing to make deals and he's not making a ton of money, I don't know how many teams want to take on a lot of salary, but he's a guy who's still arb eligible. You go ahead and, and, uh, and move him perhaps because, I mean, as, as productive as he is, do you really have that luxury caring guy who's just primarily a designated hitter at this point? I mean, it'd be nice to be able to be flexible in that spot and give an opportunity for a Mount Castle to at least get his at-bats as you try and figure out, is he a viable option in left field? And he's still learning that position. How active do you think the Orioles are going to be at maybe dealing somebody such as like a Jose Iglesias, if he gets off to a good start um, or a Michael Gibbons or, or somebody else when you're trying to maybe get pieces in return? And is there going to be much of a market for, for trading guys with the deadline just a month after the, the season starts? And when you're maybe trying to exchange prospects and scouts haven't seen a bunch of these guys in a long time. Right. And see, I'm still learning that rule as well as about guys that can be traded like, do you have to be on that in that 60? So can a lower level minor leaguer be included in a package like you normally would if you're trading a veteran like they did with Andrew Kasher to get to, uh, you know, Dominican Summer League outfielders? You won't be able to do that. Uh, on one hand, I wouldn't expect as much activity now just because of the shortened season and, you know, trying to move a guy and let him just use an example, an Alex Cobb who still has money left on that contract beyond this year or Chris Davis, even, let's say. How many teams want to take on more salary with so much uncertainty? First of all, the revenue loss this year, and then 2021, and then you need a new collective bargaining agreement. I don't know how many teams are going to be eager to take on much salary. On the other hand, you have more people who might consider themselves contenders than normally would at a trade deadline because it's a 60-game season. So anybody who gets off to has a hot month probably thinks they have a chance to sneak into the playoffs now. So maybe that might prompt somebody to say, hey, let's just go for it now in this kind of crazy season. This might be our only opportunity for a while to make the playoffs. So maybe it works that way. I just don't think there's going to be the usual activity because you're right. I mean, Iglesias was a guy, he has an option for next year, $3 million with a $500,000 buyout. But he's a guy that the Orioles looked at as, hey, he could be a trade ship for us or because they're still building prospects, middle infielders. It's been kind of a slow process. It's nice to have him in team control if we want for next year. But he's a trade ship, and Nunez could be one. And obviously Michael Gibbons, who seems to be every year, and Cobb and Tommy Malone and Wade LeBlanco, those guys, I just don't know how much of a market there's going to be now for them in this kind of a weird, truncated season. And, yes, I got to say truncated again. I think Nicely it's Nicely done. I've been writing it a lot. I, I rarely say it, but I write it a lot. <laughs> Uh, 
it's it's going to be interesting how the roster develops over a very brief period of time, as we all know, a sprint season here. And I know some fans are obviously maybe not upset, but kind of disappointed that at least Mountcastle might not be there to start. And their higher level uh, prospects, the Zimmermans, who really impressed me in spring training, and the Dean Kramers and the Keegan Akins. But there are going to be some really uh, big innings and at-bats for some younger players. Austin Hayes, obviously, being the opening day uh, center fielder. And, and in the bullpen, I mean, these are going to be playoff-type games as far as intensity goes, especially for the competition the Orioles are playing. So if Hunter Harvey gets some eighth and ninth innings, and Tanner Scott, and someone who also really impressed me, I think impressed all of us, was Cody Carroll, uh, who, who might end up being the prize of, of the Britain trade, uh, you know, as we look back at it. Uh, these are meaningful innings in the overall rebuild for the Baltimore Orioles. And for guys I just mentioned, uh, these will be high-leverage situations from day one. It will be. And I mean, people that are disappointed that they're not getting all the young prospects from day one in this season, it still is staying in line with what Michael Elias has been doing all along. Remember, we were asking the question initially when this all started the rebuild, how the Orioles are going to approach it. There's two ways to do it. One of them is you just throw everybody into the pool, take all your prospects that you may as well learn at this level. We're not trying to, we're not looking to win games right now anyway. So just give the kids a chance to play. The other way is we're not rushing anybody. We're not rushing the prospects. We're going to move them slowly through the system. And you have kind of placeholders in the meantime. You slowly filter guys in, but you don't want to hurt their development by rushing them. That's the way they went, that latter way. So they're probably still looking at that way that Keegan Aiken right now isn't ready, quite ready for the majors because they want him to cut down his walks. Ryan Malkhouse, so they want him to be a little more selective at the plate, increase his walks, cut down on strikeouts, and continue to work on playing left field. And Zimmerman, you know, he had a, he opened some eyes in camp, and there's still more work to do with him. And a Kramer, Eusniel Diaz, we thought was definitely going to debut, and now, you know, he was supposed to play in AAA first. Is he still going to have that opportunity with no minor league season to basically go from Bowie to workouts to the majors? We don't know. But, again, that's a guy that they're going to have go through the steps. They weren't going to rush any of these guys anyway. That didn't change just because of, you know, the pandemic. They're still doing this a certain way. Uh, but eventually you'll see more of these guys filter in. So the season's important for them. It's important for guys like you're saying, a Tanner Scott who's trying to establish himself finally. He's, he's such a tease. You know, that plus-plus fastball and slider, throw it on 100 mile an hour, but walks too many guys. He'll, just, he'll have it and then he'll lose it. His last outing, he was dominant. And they want to see more of that. This could be a big opportunity for him. It's a chance for Hunter Harvey to establish himself and should be able to stay healthy through a season here. It's only 60 games, so it's not like they need to be careful with him like they were when they shut him down in September because his arm wasn't bouncing back enough. 60 games now. You turn him loose and see, is he a guy who can be uh, that high-leverage guy for us moving forward? Uh, even at Asher Wojciechowski, you know, he, he's great against the Red Sox, but he wasn't real consistent. You saw it in spurts. Here's an opportunity for him to seize a spot in this rotation, whether it's as a three, four, five, whatever, and not get pushed out by all these prospects. It's big for Rio Ruiz to try and establish himself as the everyday third baseman. And he looked good in camp. And maybe that's a chance for him to finally do that, not be a platoon guy, not get sent back down again. Chance Cisco, you know, everybody knows Rutschman's over their shoulder. So is he going to have a chance to at least stick as a second catcher? Is it always going to be Severino? Is it going to be somebody else? I mean, all these guys have something to play for uh, beyond just, hey, can we make the playoffs in a 60-game season, which, you know, again, still a long shot for the Orioles. But, you know, they, different players have different things to play for. And so it's going to be an intense atmosphere, even, even in a shortened season and even without fans. 
I feel like it's going to be, there's going to be some intensity here. As far as the pitching goes, there was a rule at the beginning of the year where 26 man roster, you'd have no more than 13 pitchers. How much extra pitching do you see the Orioles carrying at the beginning of this year, knowing that not only you're playing the AL East, which is really tough, but the NL East, which is really tough too. Right. I would think if you're adding four more players to the roster, now to go 30, you've got to have at least two more pitchers, right? And a third catcher, an extra utility guy that can play the outfield. I think that would probably be how you do it. Then it's a question of, do you add a couple more one-inning type guys? Because they have a lot of those. You just keep passing that baton. Or do you try and go more multi-inning guys? Hector Velasquez, who has not thrown a pitch for the Orioles since they claimed him from the Red Sox, but he's in camp. And they look at him as a long reliever type more than anything. So maybe he's a guy, and it could be whether that's also a David Hess, whether that's a Chandler Shepard, a Tom Eshelman, Ty Block, whomever, but a couple long, longer ending type guys with starters experience because we don't know how far these starters are going to be able to go early on, although a lot of them have been throwing. and Some of them have been facing hitters back home, but still there's nothing quite like being back in camp and, and you know, facing some hitters in, in that environment and then trying to start the games. Uh, so maybe you carry a couple long guys, but I would think you'd have to add at least two arms. And I'm assuming they do want a third catcher. And I could see where you also carry that extra utility guy. And then maybe when you go down to 28, you could start subtracting some pitching as you get deeper into the season. Now I know Michael Elias was asked this on that uh, zoom call earlier in the week. There's no clarity on it. We know the minor league baseball season has sadly been uh, wiped out, but as far as having some sort of, organized minor league activity with prospects this year is there any hope of that something extended uh of course the arizona fall league comes every year uh that's really a truncated number of games and at bats and innings but is there any chance to to do something like that so maybe teams get their top 20 30 prospects in in organized baseball this year nice use of truncated it's jeff's turn next <laughs> uh, don't worry i still i got it written down got, i'll get okay, to it good good i don't know if this is gonna be a drinking game or we're just gonna try and take turns <laughs> saying it but yeah they're gonna have to find ways to get these guys active and, and you can play a lot of inter-squad games in the secondary camp but i don't know is there gonna be an arizona fall league is it safe to go to arizona i don't even know what you know what the world holds for us in october november or whatever so i'm not sure if they're gonna be able to do that or not ideally yes i i Thought I heard something about there's a possibility that you could expand the rosters there and send a bunch of guys to play. Otherwise, you're going to have to get creative. And then part of it's going to be inter-squad type games that they can set up just to have guys getting their innings. You have to have pitchers build up anyway in case you want to add them to the roster uh, and hitters getting their at-bats. But and, so, and not just to help out the team possibly later, but as we were saying, just to keep the development process going. There's going to be an awful lot of instruction, but there's no substitute for actually playing games. And it is unfortunate that, you know, some draft picks that they've signed can't immediately go, you know, Kerstad should be in what, either Gulf Coast or Aberdeen is coming out of college. He's not going to be able to do that. So, you know, you set up games for him and you hit in the cage a lot. It's still not the same thing, but we're going to have to look at it that, you know, 2020 is kind of a, a lost cause here for these guys, but you try and do as much as you can to soften the blow to, cut, to keep them active. But yeah, the Arizona Fall League would be ideal. I just don't know if we're going to be, feel safe enough to send guys into Arizona by then the way things are going right now. Besides Kerstad, do you think we see any of the other draft picks from this year, maybe in the alternate camp at some point, because Michael Elias and a number of other publications spoke pretty highly about how the Orioles drafted this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they would like to do that as opposed to just what, have these guys stay home and 
you know, work out at home, but you know, you only have room right at this point, you're at the 16 that are going to be assigned there with these 44. And then when guys start peeling off that roster, there's only so much room to put guys on there. So I think that's why they're holding off as well, because once they're on there, they're on there by that 60. So, uh, you know, they may have to go ahead and just do something different for them off to the side than putting them in that group. But it really would be a shame to not have these guys being able to, to, to really stay active. They are doing an awful lot of stuff uh, electronically, video-wise, instruction uh, that they've been doing all during this shutdown, which is helpful. But again, there's no substitute for really being out there and playing. And they're going to have to figure something out. I just don't know if there's going to be room for everybody on that roster. Last one for me, Rock. Uh, just uh, the Zoom call yesterday with Heston Kerstad. Uh, to me, what was your takeaway? We've, we've both seen and, and done a lot of these, not so much the Zoom press conference, but these first-round picks, he being the second overall. He really struck me as a very uh, quiet and humble guy in that uh, presser yesterday. Yeah, he is. And, you know, he said, like, his parents already told him, like, don't buy us anything. Like, you earn that. It's your money. And he's like, yeah, but after everything they've done for me, like, he wants to do something for them, which I thought was really nice. And at this point, he said he's not looking to buy anything. He just wants to save his money. And I'm thinking – that's a smart kid because, you know, it's very easy to say, like, it's got a $5.2 million signing bonus for all the things I could buy. But, you know, you, you need to put that money away because, you know, it could go fast and it's not like you're going to otherwise be getting rich playing minor league baseball. So if you have a chance to have that kind of a bonus, you know, you save your money. Uh, but, yeah, he's a humble kid. And, I mean, I'm just anxious to see him play because I think the first thought everybody had when he was selected, besides the fact that, you know, his name wasn't Austin Martin – and we know how to pronounce it was when this was an underslot deal. And then you start hearing about, did they go cheap or whatever? Well, they didn't. I mean, they were able to go far over slot on the two prep kids later and exact slot for two other players, college players. I think they've actually worked the, the system very well, but they really did truly like this guy a lot. I mean, they, Michael, I say he's the best left-handed hitter in the country. So it'd be easy to kind of roll your eyes at first and say a guy that was projected anywhere from 10 to 13 on some draft boards, but the Orioles obviously had him much higher than that. And they see him playing right field and taking aim at that warehouse to the left side of the plate for a lot of years. They really do like him a lot. And they think he's going to move quickly, but it would be nice to actually be able to see him play. Cause how many of us actually sat around watching, you know, Arkansas baseball, I will raise my hand and say, I, I never did. I'm guilty of having no clue about this guy until I started researching the draft. And I guess the last one for me, rock would be as you look at this truncated season there we go get the ding in there <laughs> um how confident do you think that it's going to come down to like you're going to have injuries for your players and those are going to be things that you sustain in the field just because it's a short ramp up time guys haven't been in active games high leverage situations for a while but the covid issue and teams being able to effectively police themselves and veteran players being able to effectively let the younger players know you all have to be careful. We have to take this very seriously because we don't want guys popping up on the COVID injured list. So how effective do you think some of the Orioles veterans are going to be at setting the standard and guys being able to follow that standard of not doing anything, you know, for lack of a better way, putting a dumb outside of the of Camden yards once the games are over. Yeah. It's not a veteran heavy clubhouse, but they do have, some influence there. They don't have Andrew Kashner who would have scared the crap out of everybody and maybe they all would have hid in their hotel rooms, but they've got enough guys. And even with Trey not being around, 
you do have a Chris Davis, you have a Richard Blyer, who we count these guys as, you know, Richard Blyer's being a veteran now in this club, and Alex Cobb, and, and even LeBlanc and Malone and guys that have been around. I think there are plenty that can go ahead and, and remind them, not to mention everybody else who's going to be in their ear, about being careful. Because you can be careful at the ballpark. Guys are going to show up later. They're not going to stay nearly as long after games. They are allowed to shower, but basically it's like last out, get out, pretty much. But then once they leave the ballpark, you can't follow them all around. So you're going to have to put a lot of trust and faith in them that they're going to do the right thing. And I feel like they're going to get that message. And, and I think a lot of guys, too, they're, they're nervous. Like, I, you know, I talked to Dwight Smith Jr. today, and I said, you know, some guys have been you know, obviously opting out. Did you have any apprehensions? And I expected him to say not at all. And he said, you know, I thought about it a little bit just because of his family and the people that he's around. And I'm sure players, even a Chris Davis, he's got, you know, three young daughters. I'm sure it's something he's thinking about, uh, you know, so he, and so Dwight admitted that there was some apprehensions. I think there are guys who, even though they're playing, they're nervous. They're taking this seriously. They know that this is nothing to fool around with. So I think you're going to have guys who are going to do their work, play, and then do everything they can to stay safe and just make that sacrifice. So we can't pal around after a game. Yeah, two-month sprint, not including the postseason. Uh, Rock, we'll see you at the ballpark. It feels good just to say and think yes. that right now after this uh, long and windy road. But, uh, Rock, we appreciate it so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Next time you see me, it'll be mask. Just look. mask. I'll be this guy right here. But Jeff, just make right. sure we'll... you got the muscle shirt, though. We're gonna, <laughs> I want to be able to identify. <laughs> you know, I'll be tying it this way. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to identify, Rockabaco. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Great stuff from Rock as we look forward now to what will be some semblance of a spring training. And then right around the corner, Jeff, opening day 2020 at the end of July. Yeah, and trying to figure out how the Orioles roster is going to look from the 44 that they have. That's kind of what we know it's going to be from. And how do you manage your pitching? You're playing the AL East and the NL East. That's not going to be that easy. Um, how do you eventually work some of your prospects in there, which you expect to happen at some point, you know, obviously looking at the landscape and probably service time and some of the other things, how do you, how do you go about that? How do you make sure you get some time in your prospects for that secondary camp that are in your lower minors? There are a lot of questions to be answered. And I think for the Orioles, uh, this might be a little bit harder uh, than it is for some of these other teams, because you're trying to manage, do we have enough players to play these games against really hard competition to begin with? But are we also making sure that it's not a completely lost season for priority people that will be part of our organization for years to come? And that is the balancing act. A lot more to discuss on this podcast as we get closer to uh, opening day uh, here uh, towards the end of July. Uh, but uh, we wish everyone a very uh, happy Fourth of July, a happy Independence Day, and a safe one, of course. And we'll have a lot more Orioles talk. Uh, in the coming episodes. But it was fun to get into a baseball roster today, to say the least, Jeff. So for Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Happy Fourth again. This has been another edition of Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite.